looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte, joined by my co-host, DJ Smith. DJ, how are you doing this week? Awesome, Dante. How are you doing? Doing great. I'm glad to have you here. Do you want to introduce the guests to the audience real quick before we get started into the show? Yeah, this is actually one that uh, you, in fact, introduced me to. There was a deal going on in Winston-Salem. Uh, Exponential Equity was partnered up with Law Capital Partners. Uh, Hemel Badiani. And Hemel is an expert in scaling businesses. That's what he did in his past life. And we're very happy to have him here in the real estate world. And he is showing people how to get things done and how to scale in syndication. It is a great podcast. Yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he started syndicating in August of 2020. And he's- September, yep. September, (laughs) yep. And he's approaching a thousand units already, which is insane. Yes, an extremely aggressive goal going forward. Uh, tune in and you'll hear all about it. All right, let's bring Hamal in. Hamal, thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing phenomenal and thank you guys for inviting me. I'm super excited to be here. We are extremely excited to have you here as well. We've uh, had conversations with you in the past, done some investing with you on some recent projects, so we're excited to dive into all of that with you. Uh, but before we get started, why don't you just introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, the the good stuff, the important stuff first, right? So I'm Obadiani. I'm uh, I'm based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Got uh, five year old twins, boy and a girl, uh, and and my wife here as a family. Um, and uh, in in the professional world, I was in the management consulting business for about. 15 years or so. So it took me on the road uh, across three continents, uh, lots of lots of uh, companies, very distinct companies, everybody from Disney theme parks to the Vatican. Uh, I had the good fortune of helping them, working with them, working with a really uh, smart set of people, especially at that C-suite level, CEOs, CEOs, CFOs, and uh, and advise them on you know innovation, on product strategy, on mergers, acquisitions, systems, and processes. Um, and so once once I had my twin babies, uh, you know decided to hang up my traveling boots and uh, joined uh, the financial world uh, as a banking executive. And uh, that gave me a little bit of space to think about you know how do I utilize my strengths and my competencies, my background, and um, I come from a family of business owners as well. Um, you know, co- combining all of that and figuring out what I what really is my passion in, because I've got the the experience to build companies and be be part of building businesses. Um, I was figuring out my passion, so that led me to a, a what is known as serial entrepreneurship, right? So I, I dabbled first and create an outsourcing company, um, and then uh, a private lending firm, then a single family wholesaling flipping houses business in 2019 and all three you know i was able to scale very quickly within 12 months bring a lot of employees to the table um you know build the systems and processes to institute all the the rigor and structure that's needed for a big firm 
um, but I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. Um, so come 2020, you know, hindsight's 2020, nobody knew uh, what's going to happen with COVID. But uh, 2020, I decided to exit my single family wholesaling business um, and uh, looked for something to, to do more uh, in terms of real estate, which I enjoyed, not just the not, not so scalable uh, single family side. So that's where I found commercial real estate, um, took, took a little break to learn, um, invested passively multiple times, uh, met a lot of people, mentors um, and operators that I could partner with and uh, really understood the business uh, in a very short period of time on how it functions and then started building our team and uh, went uh, first September of 2020 was our first acquisition as act on an active side and since then, in the last seven, eight months, we've acquired four uh, multifamily projects in 650 units and one new development project, 150 units. And then we are on, on pace to acquire another 460 units in Houston, um, along with two or three more development projects here in Charlotte, North Carolina, just as this snapshot in time. And, and that has allowed us to, that momentum has allowed us to build a tremendous company in a very short period of time with seven people working full time. Uh, and uh, we're very excited where we are and uh, very grateful for where we are. Well, that's just spectacular what you just kind of listed, what you've done in the last seven months alone. And I definitely want to dive into that and kind of dissect that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but first, before you got in a single family, why real estate? How did you select that uh, that asset, basically the asset class or that form of investing? Yeah, it was, uh, it, you know, passive investments long term uh, in real estate was something I used to do when I was in my corporate career. Climbing that ladder, I didn't have the time because I was traveling every week. So parking away money with the traditional 20% down townhomes in North Carolina, land, uh, that could just buy and hold. I understood the math of real estate, didn't have the, the time to be active in it. And uh, as I was you know, exiting my private lending firm, I came across in 2019, a couple of folks here in, in the local market that had some uh, $60 webinar on creative financing options for real estate. And uh, that blew my mind. I'm like, oh my goodness, you I can scale, uh, you know, make money out of thin air, um, buy houses with zero down. Um, so, I, you know, once I get an idea, I, I just want to make sure that I can build it big. That's just my superpower, right? So um, quickly started hiring virtual assistants, on-site employees, and just went about with trial and error, just getting through that, that type of uh, transactional business. And it became really, really successful. Emil, that is your superpower. Uh, so we're, we're doing this podcast in April 2021. And if people are following along with those dates, uh, Emil was doing single family homes in 2019, said he took a break. He acquired his first property September 2020. And it's now April 2021. And he is looking at 400 plus units that they're in the process of acquiring. Is that a done deal yet, Emil? It's under contract. Yeah. Awesome. We've done awesome. 80% of the due diligence. We're very likely to acquire it in the next couple of months. You know, so amazing, absolutely amazing from a timing standpoint. I, I was blown away. It's the second time I've heard this story. And I, I think uh, 
it, it it's uh, even more overwhelming than the first time I heard it. Now that's had a little bit of time to sink <laughs> in. Um, so it, it, with regard to smaller operators out there, people, whether they're doing single family, you scaled that, uh, if they're into syndications, whatever it is, can you give us some initial steps, some guidance from the real expert here, the guy with the superpowers, right? Yeah. Uh, what are the first steps that you would recommend taking relative to scaling a real estate business? Yeah, I think the first step is knowing and understanding yourself, especially with strengths, right? So in the corporate world, we do Clifton Strength Finder, Disk Assessment, et cetera. You really need to understand as a leader or a senior person within your firm, if you're growing it big, what, are you, what do you really stand for? What kind of people do you want to attract? What kind of values you want to attract? But even beyond that, you know, the Clifton Strength Finder has 30, 40 competencies and not everyone is good at everything, right? So when, when I did mine, I know I'm good at communication. I know I'm good at, you know, having that winning over others type of rapport building and credibility building uh, mindset. I'm good at multitasking. And so in, in my mind, the CEO's role uh, based on my experience meant well for, for me. And I had to then look for folks, including my first partner, Yamesh, um, who, who is the CEO of the company, right? And there are aspects of operations that are super detail oriented. There are aspects of operations that are maximizing the conversations and negotiations with the property management company on a weekly basis, keeping people up to task that I can do um, and I can definitely learn. And if I need to um, over, over the few years can really be strong at it, but that's not natural to me from a strengths perspective. And so finding people complementary truly to my skills and adding them to each piece of the puzzle of the business as we expand, right? And marketing, supply chain, technology, processes, there's accounting, uh, all those things when you truly are building business and not transactional, that's something you need to understand, right? So that's one thing. Second thing is you need to understand your season of life. Uh, you need to understand what are you really trying to aspire and build, right? Uh, a $10 million business that you own 100% or a billion dollar business that you own 1% of, they're the same thing from a net worth standpoint, but they are run completely differently, right? There's a level of training. And if you've worked in the corporate world as a passive investor, or you come from that experience, there's, there's some level of bureaucracy. There's lots of processes that, you know, in a startup company that has only a handful of employees, everybody's talking to each other on a daily basis, it's a completely different culture. So you have to be mindful of the culture that you're trying to institute uh, in your company, right? And then the third thing is just being flexible. Is this business and the way you kind of navigate things is very organic, right? We didn't go about trying to make 650 units. Uh, we just said, what are the processes? How many how many uh, deals can we evaluate? How many relations can we build? And when we get those processes right, whether it's one deal or three deals or 10 deals that happen, they're happening within the discipline that we've established, within the metrics we've established. So we're not trying to sidestep or make shortcuts. And sometimes it can be really frustrating, right? Right now we, we evaluate 150 deals a month. And uh, that seemed quite a lot, but then we put out three to four offers out of it. 
um, and uh, you know many a times get outbid, which is okay because in the commercial real estate business you you need to have maybe one or two deals a quarter and you you're in a good good spot from a pace perspective. So having knowing yourself, knowing your strengths, knowing your season of life, and having complementary team members is is the only way to success in my mind. Inver, inversion of control and growth always needs to be understood, right? The more control you try to seek, the less growth you have, the more growth you try to seek, the less control you have of many, many aspects of your business. Yeah, uh, many important uh, facts you just stated there for sure for success. The question I kind of have for you though, that first deal, that first syndication deal that you did, um, obviously that one's where the, you know, the barrier to entry is much larger as that first one coming in. Do you want to touch on that first deal, um, yeah. how you found it, how you funded it and the business plan for it. Yeah. So it was a deal found by someone else, right. And right in the heart of COVID that was that Q3, Q4, 2020 was that time when debt and equity was kind of getting scrunched up. Right. And sellers were a little bit scared nowadays. They're not right. <laughs> it's a, it's a seller's market for all intents and purposes. Um, so discounted opportunities still existed. Those unicorns with discounted opportunities with where management inefficiencies were there still existed. Um, so this was a direct-to-seller conversation. Another partner of ours brought to the table, and that was our foot in the door to say, hey, we will bring a good source of capital for this opportunity, and that allows us to learn. We've already learned through passive investments how reporting is done, how communication is done, which operators do what and different best practices of each of the operator. We put our money where our mouth is, but now our next step of the business building is to really be in the sausage making of property management conversations, due diligence conversations, et cetera. So we decided to use the value of capital at an opportunistic time uh, where capital was not, uh, was, was not that plenty uh, like it is today to jump in with a partnership that we were aligned in terms of values. We all could uh, put our names against each other, right? We've been, we've been talking for many, many months. We've hung out together. Uh, these partners have come to our house. It was a very warm relationship. We knew that they, we, when we take fiduciary responsibility of our capital and our investors in that opportunity, um, it, it'll be well taken care of. So, that was our first entry. And that allowed us to then stack up the, the next project. We closed end of September, another 128 units. This was 208 units and 128 units. So we went to 400, um, 330, 330 doors in, uh, in, or 336 doors in, in, a, in a span of 30 days, right? And it took many, many months to go through that. Um, and then December 24th, um, just before Christmas, we closed on a very small owner finance, again, going through to that creative financing routes, closed on that uh, very small 64 unit opportunity that took us to that 400 mark just as we were closing 2020 and set us up really for the momentum that we wanted to achieve in 2021. So it's really interesting that uh, you guys didn't, the first deal you said you didn't find, you had the capital to bring. And I think, uh, well, just tell us a story about how you were able to raise capital because that usually people are looking for deals and looking for help on yeah. capital. You guys kind of flipped the script there. Explain that. 
Yeah, so it was a very creative option on the deal, right? And uh, it was us going to our friends and family at that stage and saying, hey, guys, we are putting our own money. We've been investing for a while in this type of opportunity called syndications. Here's what it means. Here's how it's protected. And here's how we are putting our money where our mouth is. So it's not like we're trying to solicit anything. We sincerely believe in this opportunity for you guys to vet out. Uh, if you like the opportunity and you like the fact that we are co-investing in it, uh, it might be a good good train to jump on. And, and that just became an easier conversation, right? It, obviously, we didn't have any websites or sign-up clubs or didn't, <laughs> didn't have any of the infrastructure to bring awareness to a larger group. It was just friendly conversations, warm conversations of people who trusted us. And that two decades of credibility in the banking sector and the management consulting sector definitely helps when, when, when you go and stand up in a, in a room full of people that trust you. Gotcha. Now you mentioned a room full of people. So these weren't one-on-one -on -one discussions or some were they? Some were one-on-one, yeah. some we asked to jump on webinars, right? Virtual, yep. some, some where we could, uh, depending on the season of COVID, where you know, a handful of people wanna just grab whiskey and investment conversations and some bring ideas on the stock market and some bring ideas uh, like this one. So there were a mixed bag of conversations we had. It was not a, it was not a salesy pressure making or anything of that. It was just, hey, this, this is how we wanna build the company, right? And tomorrow when we do such type of investments, if you have tasted one investment, you've tasted the success, they've already received two quarters worth of checks now. So everybody's excited about the next deal because they now understand the power of passive investment. Oh my goodness, I, I don't have to lift a finger and I'm getting a quarterly check in our ACH in my, in my bank account. Uh, that's superb and amazing. Absolutely. And uh, so that's actually how I started in real estate, doing some of the passive investing. And I find when I just tell that story, and it sounds like you found the same thing back then, yeah. is just you, you, you like the process, you like real estate, you like the security of it, you like the returns of it. Yeah. It doesn't have the peaks and valleys of the stock market. And I'm not yeah. trying to talk against the stock market, right? Yeah. Everybody has to make those choices. Yeah. Uh, so how was it received in general? And how much was that capital raised for your first one? Yeah, it was received really positively. Obviously, you know, there are, you, that's how we started categorizing investors, right? There are people who would be like, you're doing awesome. Here's my money. Take it. Whatever you invest, we're going to invest, right? There's that set of people that you know. There's that set of people that are like, you guys don't know anything. <laughs> I'm smarter than you. I've made tremendous money in the stock market. I'm going to keep it in the stock market. More power to you. Then there is people who are just risk averse, right? And we have people who keep their money in the mattress and they're like, yeah, everything that you're saying is amazing. I'm sure you do well and I'm sure you make an amazing amount of money, predictable return with low risk. I just cannot pull the trigger. And, and you know, in the initial stages, you're like, dude, this is, you know, it's like Zen meditation, right? Once you figure out you, 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 the benefits of meditation, you want to go and preach it to everyone else. <laughs> but slowly you figure out, well, there's people who are ready and there's people who are not ready. And then you just, you know, talk to people who are ready. Awesome. Yeah. And recently, and you and I talked about this a little bit before the phone call, there was actually a suggestion made at a meetup that I was at that said, it, you know, a lot of people are out there looking for deals, 
Yeah. If you can bring the person or be the person, the group that brings the money, uh, there's a lot of opportunities out there. Do you find that that's generally, are there more deals or more money right now? More money for sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the, but the key more. is to pull it right. And the key have is it. to pull it. The key mm -hmm. is to, if you go with a very small deal, one off, um, and you have no track record established, um, it's going to be hard to raise money, right? Um, the deals that we look at now are institutional level opportunities. So we can knock on bigger doors. We've already had, you know, four or five transactions. And more importantly, we come from a background of 20 years of doing this for large corporations. So there's some inherent amount of trust, even though we don't have 20 years of track record uh, in, in the business of real estate, but we've been in the business of building businesses for 20 years. So that's where it made it a little bit easier uh, for us to raise money. But even then it's a challenge, right? And we constantly challenge ourselves. The, the last transaction we closed, will, this new transaction will be four times the size of that last transaction. So, you know, this is 40 plus million dollar project uh, that we are embarking on right now and 10 plus million dollars that we'll be raising in the next 60 days. So that, that's, a, that's kind of a big deal, right? Um, and it's not that we are slowing down and all hands on deck and everybody is just focused on raising that money. We're putting out LOIs and starting construction projects and basically making our team at, at every point uncomfortable to expand and grow and you know, push each other's to, to, to uh, build the business to a very, significant level. Uh, my goal and vision is to build a billion dollars assets under management in 18 months. So that's, that's, a, that's a quite a steep goal. Um, and with this transaction, we'll be at 100 million in asset under management by June. Yeah, I mean, that, that's phenomenal. And going back to what you were saying about bringing the capital or bringing the equity instead of the deal or vice versa, when you're bringing equity to a deal, what does that look like for you guys as far as GP ownership or ownership in the project? Are you saying, all right, we'll bring in all this capital and majority. We're looking at percentage based of how much capital we bring in. Or are we looking at maybe 25% of the GP? How does that work? I know each deal is different, but I kind of yeah. want to get your feedback. Yeah, each deal is different and each season of that operator is different, right? You, you can't have, it's, it's not legal to just bring capital. It's not legal to just do a prorata. Yeah, I'll bring half a million bucks and that's why you give me X amount. But we commit to a range of capital. Uh, when we used to do the first couple of deals where we brought capital as well, most now our, all our projects we do ourselves soup to nuts. So people bring capital to us, which same, same transaction, we're on this, the other side of the table. Um, but yeah, you, you commit to a range of capital and then you find other ways to add value, right? So those, those projects, we added a marketing arm, right? We come from a professional corporate background. So um, making pretty slides in the consulting world was a full-time job, right? Um, so, you know, honing in those skills, elevating the group from that perspective, uh, for the Louisiana project that we bought end of September, we had boots on the ground. So every every 90 days as part of the contract, uh, Yomesh and I as, as boots on the ground, along with bringing capital, along with helping with the marketing, we go there and uh, spend two days inspecting the property, inspecting the property management company's progress, 
and bring all that data back to our weekly calls uh, and stay on the active side. So that's helped us build the competency in a very short period of time that many of the, the theories and webinars and, you know, and, uh, and conversations on courses, et cetera, can only take you 10, 15% of the way. You, you really need to get your hands dirty. And so we, we chose to have that path as well. That helps. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, it could be some people might offer 10% and some people might offer 30% of GP. It's so different and so many people do it so many different ways. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not structured in, in, and there's no specific share or anything of that sort. It's by the GP. Well, I, I am a little bit worried about you because, you know, if this deal that you have that you're under contract for is, you know, four times what you've done, I'm not sure there's a whole heck of a lot of 1500 unit apartment deals for you to go four X for the next <laughs> one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. Yeah. so now that you're on the other side of the table, now you're going out and you're finding deals. Uh, guidance on what you found out there in the marketplace. How are you locating your deals? Um, give us some tips there as to you know what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. We took a three-phase approach, right, and let the process run itself. One was broker relationships, traditional, conventional broker relationships spent thousands and thousands of dollars um, on steakhouses, uh, warm conversations, uh, exotic car clubs, you know, making sure our name was heard, uh, putting reasonable offers when it came to smaller opportunities that we were ready to take at that stage. And, and over a period of time, one or two broker shops were like, yeah, these guys are legit, these guys are serious. We want to make sure that they, they win opportunities with us. Um, and so that was one. Second was, was just word of mouth, right? We, we put it out there. Hey, we've done three, four transactions. We've got the capital. What, if you find a deal and bring it to us in this buy box, we are not looking for a first-time deal. We're not looking for a four or $5 million deal. Sometimes you get a hit a jackpot and you can have a 10 to $30 million deal coming direct to seller. Uh, as a conversation, case in point, the Houston one, which is a, a direct-to-seller conversation. It's not a broker or directly marketed deal through a broker. So we don't have any OM or anything. Um, so we found that that kind of opportunities as well. And the third is just wholesaler relationships and some direct outbound marketing. We don't do too much of it right now. We, we could do more. Um, but there are creative ways of doing that, just calling up people and seeing if if they want a, a deal, right? And at this stage of the market, we, we are focused on the operations side a lot more than acquisitions, right? We know we can find one or two good opportunities every quarter. If you find 20, $30 million deals, we can, you know, build our portfolio at 50, 60 million a quarter. That, that's not a bad way to grow. Um, and it allows us to be nimble and flexible if you don't want to grow that fast or if you want to grow faster from that standpoint. Our focus is well, how do we maximize? Because no, nobody's giving a discount. In direct-to-seller deals, they might save you 3% on the whole uh, broker fees, but otherwise nobody wants to sell uh, in this market. Nobody should sell at a discount, right? So how do you maximize investors' profitability is on the expense side. So that's where we want to squeeze in every part of the expense, creative uh, management, whether it's, you know, contracts with uh, Spectrum and other, uh, you know, reserved car parking or 
uh, yeah, property technology that we could implement. So we're really looking uh, at, at a lot of things that we could do you know, more than traditional first-time operators would be doing and really be proactive in managing our property management company and our business plan uh, to allow us to maximize and, and uh, knock out our projection out of the park uh, from an expense standpoint. So the first uh, taste I got of you and your team was the presentation that you did for Ladeer Crest. Yeah. Winston-Salem deal recently closed. Um, it, it was really, uh, in my eyes, kind of a, a neat deal. Certainly it had a lot of elements like a lot of other deals, uh, but it also had some very unique elements to it. Uh, yeah. So you, you probably know what I'm hitting on relative to the LIHTC agreement that was in place. Yeah. Might, might be good for some of our listeners to hear a little bit about what that means and how you guys manage that and yeah. the play that you made on that. What was the business plan? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, That was an exciting, unique opportunity to your point. And we, we are very bullish on that. If you look at Biden's plan right now, infra, infrastructure wise and one of the biggest slices is on affordable housing, right? There's a, there's a crisis on affordable housing. A lot of uh, big hedge funds uh, don't want to touch it typically uh, because these are long-term contracts uh, like the Litec ones. So we like it. Um, it's not our exclusive domain for search, but we, we have the experience on it and, and we want to take it. Yeah, so that one has a nine-year contract where the rents have to be below a certain cap uh, to, to say the least, but the rents had not been increased in the last six years. So the, the cap that we could achieve was $400 more than the current rents, which in itself is fantastic. But our business plan was if we just increase the rents by a hundred bucks over the next three years and refinance the property out because we were able to negotiate a very low price on it um, through failures of the contract and a few other things where we could step in opportunistically uh, and uh, broker relationships over a number of months really helped uh, getting that first dib in, in that conversation. Um, we, we found this at a really low price. So it allows us to refinance in three years, give 100% of investor capital back. So everybody's risk is gone at that stage. Um, and then keep the property for five more years. Uh, that's kind of the game plan, right? And why five years? Like three plus five is eight, you know, 12 months left to the LIHTC agreement uh, for caps uh, on the rents to be lifted. That's where it leaves juice for the, the next buyer, right? We can talk to them and say, hey, this is coming to a market rent property. It's well managed. We've done a pretty good job. Um, you can do multiple exit strategies in a few months time. Uh, so however you choose it. Um, and, and that allows us to command a little bit of premium to the, to the property in itself, which we have not counted for, but that's what we hope for. Um, and, and, and that with five years of infinite returns to our investors, which is, you know, everybody wants infinite returns, right? I don't, I, I don't Absolutely. Have penny, yeah, exactly. If I don't have to put a money penny in there and I can earn some money, that's amazing. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, put that money to work somewhere else. And uh, exactly. yeah, yeah, that's uh, real estate investing at, at, in its highest form, I think. Yeah. Um, so LIHTC, Low Income Housing Tax Credit is, uh, so we're using the acronym, obviously, for it's an agreement between the owner and the state. Uh, we've yeah. seen them in several states. I've read some of these agreements. 
just give us kind of the high level of it. And I'm sure they're all a little bit different from one another, but just uh, touch on some of the key points of uh, an owner entering into that type of agreement. Why did they do it? What are they agreeing to? Yeah, it's, a, it's one of the largest, if not the largest government incentive program for affordable housing. Essentially any big developer or significant renovation type of property, you can go to the government state agency and say that, hey, I want to give this to uh, make this a much more affordable community. And to that end, that developer or renovator rehabber would receive significant tax credits for the first few years from the state. And uh, they come into this agreement called the Lura Agreement, uh, Land Use Restrictions Agreement, and which stipulates that whatever the average median income of that county or the city is, you can only have people that are X percentage, typically 50, 60% of that income are living in that property. And that they have a formula, a very public formula. You can look it up before every county, uh, what the maximum cap for each county's uh, light tech uh, rents are. Um, and uh, they, they, have, they have a formula for one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom houses uh, on what that could look like. And that, that's the game plan. And every year as the median income in that city increases or decreases, you can have a different cap that's slightly adjusted, hopefully on the higher side, uh, which was in case for Winston-Salem, which is a fantastic market for the last few years has been growing. Um, and even in 2021, Yardi Matrix says it's the sixth uh, highest rent increase in the entire country. Um, and so the median income keeps on increasing uh, but the rents on, uh, for this seller had never increased in six years that he had the property. So gave us that spread uh, where we would, we would never hit the light tech cap, uh, even though there's a cap existing. Right. Uh, yeah, that's really amazing. Um, so you, you touched on markets. Are there markets that you're targeting and ones that you're avoiding right now? Yeah, um, everybody avoids California and New York unless you live there. And you've, you have multi, multiple generations. We, well, I mean, we, we're not doing anything extraordinary in there, right? We, we're targeting Sunbelt, uh, Southeast, Texas, Oklahoma. That's where we want to be. Now we're trying to be a little bit more intentional in saying no, even within those markets, because um, ultimately we want to bring property management in-house construction management in-house really build that vertically integrated firm that controls supply chain you know by blinds internationally by granite internationally that's the type of firm we want to build so any place we now invest into an asset for example houston you know we, once we buy 460 we want to buy 2000 more uh, and that allows us to then bring the, the, the stuff in-house that we that would really add to that layer of op operational efficiency that we would like to have. Uh, and that, that would set us apart in, in my mind than other operators because we can always provide above average returns because of that competency and scale that we would bring to the table. Yeah, most definitely. And, and markets today, it's kind of tough because a lot of markets historically have been doing very well over the past few years. So it's tough yeah. to pinpoint the ones that aren't doing well, but like you said, New York, Cal New York, California, and then looking at, um, I think some uh, states that are tenant landlord friendly, you got to figure out which one that is because that can have yeah. a big impact on the investment. Um, DJ, did you have anything else for uh, Hemel before we head over to the next section of the show? Yeah, I actually have to 
have him touch on his his no man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just got to tell us, uh, give us a little glimpse of what happens inside your company and yeah. it, your deal evaluation, because I thought this was great. Yeah, no, it's it's all about you know in the in the corporate world, it's all about instituting frameworks and guardrails, right? And everybody stands. If you have a balancing act on both sides of a process then most of the times you turn, you, you, you're in the middle of the lane and most of the times you don't make too many skewed mistakes is, is my philosophy. And I don't have to be in that process. So when it comes to acquisitions and due diligence, right? We have three full-time acquisitions folks and they evaluate 150 deals a month. Out of that, probably 130 to 135, I would say they would, they based on our initial metrics and our due diligence spreadsheets, they'll be able to chuck that out. And we, we don't get to see it. Uh, my partner, Yomesh, uh, was the CEO of the firm and I don't even see them. Uh, the 15, 10 or 15 that come to the table that we really want to evaluate, I am not the, the person that uh, puts, puts yes or no on that stamp, right? It's that, at that stage, the acquisitions team is like a lawyer and they're putting up a business case on why <laughs> why we should put an LOI on this and this property. And Yomesh is the no guy. Uh, and he, his job is to take everything that he can to be on the other side of the debate and win the lawsuit um, by killing the deal. And uh, if he cannot do that, then we know that that's a, that's a good enough property for us to be aggressive on. And at that stage, you know, even if it's in Texas, even if it's in Oklahoma, our director of acquisitions is on the next flight goes there, mystery shops it, you know, takes 300 pictures and, and we go super aggressive on our price at that stage. You know, that, that's just, it, it's such great stuff. I'm sure anybody that's listening, if you're not wearing out the ink in your pen right now, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you don't have a good understanding of what you're missing. Uh, this is really great stuff. And I would actually love to keep you on for the next hour. Uh, but we do need to get to our curious cues, I think, Dante, and, and wrap this thing up. Yes, sir. So, Hemel, we're going to shoot some questions at you. The DJ said the curious cues. So some questions we uh, give all of our guests towards the end of the show, and we'll get your answers on them. Yeah. Question number one we have for you is favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? I like uh, the Joe Fairless one, uh, but mostly I listen outside of real estate is all about mindset and longevity of life and fitness of life and mindset. And uh, so Tom Bileo's uh, podcast, uh, Impact Theory, I really like that one. Awesome. How about a uh, favorite book you enjoy reading? doesn't have to be real estate related. Yeah, my, I mean, my most favorite has been Think and Grow Rich. Uh, I've read it three times. And the second and third time, I actually sat down like a, like a college paper, you know, noted down lines. Uh, recent book that I'm reading that I'm really liking is Atomic Habits. Um, and, uh, you know, just how small tweaks in your life practically could allow you to structure good habits and take care of the bad ones. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying that one. Yeah, I mean, talk about mindset with those two books. They're phenomenal. Uh, Napoleon Hills, I got that book, read it numerous times. It's phenomenal, like you said. Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome? Uh, my own mind. Okay, so mindset again, kind of going over yeah. that and what you're thinking on there. Okay, favorite non-real estate related hobby. So when you're not uh, going, flying to properties, taking 300 pictures, <laughs> the acquisition team, what are we doing? 
Yeah, I love golfing. Um, I love boxing. I love biking. It's uh, my sports are all about me against the road and and uh, the earth. It's not a competitive stuff. Um, I, I just like to better myself and be the best version that I can for that day. I mean, hey, I don't know about you, but boxing, that's definitely competitive and beating someone else besides <laughs> the earth or else you're done, yeah. man. <laughs> You'll be a no man there. Uh, and newest advice that you can give to someone that's looking to get started in real estate. Yeah. Uh, use your strength to take action and just outwork everybody else. Now, if anybody tells you success is not 90% grunt work, they're lying. You need to put in true, tremendous amount of grunt work for a sustainable period of time. And if even that doesn't give you results, you're going to do more than that. Yeah, that is great. Well, Hemel, if you can go ahead and take a quick minute to uh, put in the plugs, let people know where they can get a, a hold of you if they want to reach out to you, talk with you, yeah. chat with you at all. Uh, where can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Our, our company's uh, name is exponential-equity.com. And my email address is hemel, H-E-M-A-L, at exponential-equity.com. I'm happy to connect with investors, people who are starting in this business, people who are interested in this business, uh, folks from the single family wholesaling world who are looking into this business to save some taxes and offset some of the, the gains uh, that they have in the wholesaling world. Happy to connect with anyone and everyone. Awesome stuff. This has been really, really great. Tons of nuggets dropped. Uh, really appreciate having you on. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, this was a wonderful interaction. This is great. Thank you, Hamel. Thanks. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.